Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, and I pray now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would guide and direct my words. Lord, I pray that the things that are said today would be truly uh, spirit-empowered and spirit-directed. I ask this in the name of Jesus, that you would hear this prayer. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so I want to start off by being a little frank. No offense to Frank. We got a Frank in the room. Um, I was so glad Frank was here because I wanted to use that joke and it wouldn't have been as funny if Frank wasn't here. Um, I think that it would be ridiculous, uh, I think the right word is remiss, of me to ignore current events as your pastor. Um, to ignore that entirely, I think, would be uh, the wrong thing for me to do. Um, if you ever wonder if Pastor Matt is one of those guys that's going to uh, be cautionary in what he says because he doesn't want to step on toes, you will find out today that that is not the case. Um, the only toes I ever worry about are God's, um, and uh, that's, that's it. Um, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm kind of hoping, this might be a sick side of me, but I'm kind of hoping that everybody's toes get stepped on a little bit today. Um, <clears throat> I think... And this is where it starts to get uncomfortable. I think that most of you probably voted um, Republican in this last election. I don't know that. Um, I do know that there are some that voted Democrat, I think. I'm guessing. I actually haven't asked anybody how anybody voted, so I have no clue. Um, on a side note, I'm not a Republican. I'm a theocratic libertarian. If you ever want to know what, where Pastor Matt is at, I'm a theocratic libertarian. I was going to put a slide up there so that you could remember that and go, what is that? Okay, so not a libertarian a theocratic libertarian, uh, which tends to mean I vote a certain way most of the time, but it's based on those particular beliefs. Um, I want you to know as, uh, I want you to know that I appreciate um, all of my Republican people, but I also appreciate those that lean Democrat. I know that some of you don't like that. I don't care. Um, I would never want to be, I want to give you two reasons. One, I would never, ever want to be a part of a church that is unified underneath one political party that is sick and disgusting, and I would never want to be a part of it, okay? Um, second, I love having people with slightly different perspectives than I do because it keeps me honest. If I'm going to say something and I'm going to step on anybody's toes, like I said, the only toes I care about are God's. If I am going to step on somebody's toes, I want to make sure that I know that I'm on God's side and I'm not stepping on his toes. Okay? <clears throat> but like I said, I think we've had a difficult year followed by a stressful election. Um, I know many of you have had stressful days and stressful nights thinking about these things. Um, I hear many shifting into platitudes before and after all of this, that God is reigning and he is in control. But I'm afraid that some of you may be saying that as a simple platitude and don't actually mean it. Um, if you're using those words, I, I want you to know, I want you to think about what you're talking about. Um, maybe some of you are just saying those things to feel better temporarily, right? Right? 
I want to think about those things. That's not really what I, what, I, what I want to talk about today. In fact, I want to take all this election stuff. Let, let's grab it all. I'm grabbing it above all your heads. All this stuff. Oh, I got that one. Got that one. Let's crumple it up. And where should we put it? Oh, I know. Let's put it. Let's put it up here. Can we? At the foot of the cross. Okay, did you guys do that? Are you guys with me? At the foot of the cross? Okay. Who tried to grab it? Okay. Now, in connection to that, I would like to start here. God, throughout history, and I almost got bogged down at this point, but I've tried to trim the fat off this sermon, okay? You know, just try to keep it lean. Um, God, throughout history, all throughout scriptural history, has established rulers. I, I have four examples. I almost had a lot, but then I was like, no, that's too many. I'll just do four. Uh, the first one I have for you, first example, is Pharaoh. The Pharaoh that I think is the most infamous of Pharaohs uh, at the time of Moses. Um, where would you put him? Good, bad, ugly, evil? Yeah. Pharaoh was raised up by God. Exodus 9.16, but for this purpose... Think about the words that are being said here. For this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power. This is God speaking to <laughs> that Pharaoh, so that my name may be proclaimed to all the earth. Paul quotes that in Romans, where the scripture says to Pharaoh for this very purpose. What does raised up mean? Doesn't it mean put on the throne, put into that position? Absolutely. And what, what does God say? He says, I, I own that. Right? I did that. And I've got a purpose for it. That's what he says of Pharaoh. He actually gives us his purpose in Pharaoh's case. I think this purpose filters into all of the things that he does, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You think about that word raised up, though, and you think about all the ins and outs. If you've ever studied history and even the history of the pharaohs, there's lots of connivings and, and deceptions and things going on behind the scenes for different kings to be put into different places. God says, I own it. That's mine. I raised him up. I did that. Let me give you another example. King Saul. Good or bad? Ugly. He was handsome, actually. He wasn't ugly. Um, king Saul was anointed by God to be king of Israel. Samuel, God speaking to the prophet Samuel, says, tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people, of, uh, my people Israel. He shall save my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul... The Lord told him, here's the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Who owns the placing of Saul 
in his position of leadership. Who owns it? God does. Restrain means rule, stop them, throttle. Another example, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Jeremiah the prophet, who wrote Jeremiah, also wrote the book. Does anybody know what other book of the Bible he wrote? Lamentations. Lamentations, if you had to summarize, I mean, just think about the title of it. It's a lament. Lamentations is a lament over the destruction of Jerusalem, the fall of Jerusalem, over the, the Israel ended. Who did that? Nebuchadnezzar. God speaks to Jeremiah the prophet who wrote an entire book of lament over the loss of of his nation, God's nation of Israel. God tells Jeremiah this. Now I, I, who's owning this again? God is. I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. Nebuchadnezzar's like, this is, I mean, a whole book of this is terrible. God says, I did that. Here's another Cyrus, king of Persia. This one's a little bit more of a positive note. Uh, Unless I'm getting my wires crossed, he's the one, I didn't double check myself this morning. Uh, He's the one that uh, uh, eventually led to the restoring of some of the people back to Israel and Jerusalem. Um, Cyrus, king of Persia, though, was not. He actually did that with a lot of places. He rebuilt lots of temples, and he rebuilt lots of idols to different gods all across his entire land, the kingdom of Persia. He was taking these people, oh, we'll send you back, and we'll rebuild your temple. Oh, we'll send you back. He, was, he didn't love God. God says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill my purpose. See, there's a filter going through all of these. God has purposes. He shall fulfill my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Cyrus thought he was doing that. God says, I own that too, and I have purposes. If I shift back to Nebuchadnezzar for a minute, um, Daniel, Daniel the prophet who, uh, let me not go there yet. Daniel the prophet, Daniel was probably one of the people that got taken out of Jerusalem. He was most likely castrated when he arrived to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, in a prayer inspired by the Spirit of God, phrase, as Nebuchadnezzar had come to him and said, I had a dream, can you interpret it for me? Daniel prays this and it's recorded for us to read. He, being God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Who owns the flow of the world? God does. Later on, Nebuchadnezzar himself, and I don't want you to read too much into this next one, but there's a, pra- there's a prayer in the Bible from this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. It's recorded in the book of Daniel, but Nebuchadnezzar is the one that prays it. Nebuchadnezzar, some of you don't know this, some of you do. Nebuchadnezzar was very arrogant. Some dreams are returned to. He was ruling the world as far as he knew. He had a big statue built to himself. 
right? Some of you know those stories. God humbled him. He ended up, God gave him over to lunacy. He was out in the fields eating grass. Like the Bible says that his hair, like he was just growing long and his, his nails are like claws and he was out eating the grass of the field. Like he went bonkers and thought he was an animal. God restored him to the kingdom spot after that period of craziness. How in the world? I always read that and I go, who are the people like, well, yesterday, Nebuchadnezzar, glad to have you back, but I mean, yesterday you were eating grass. Like, like who are the people that are like, okay, I guess you can have the throne back. I mean, who were these people that were in Babylon while he was out chewing grass? Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges, though, the sentence, what he experienced and the return is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. Nebuchadnezzar learned, God does this, the most high. One more example for you from the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we have our Savior, King Jesus, who was killed. There were rulers in the city of Jerusalem and this nation of Israel that were horrible, evil, wicked men, Pontius Pilate and Herod, right? Peter, the apostle, in a prayer under the inspiration of the Spirit that is recorded for us in the Scriptures for us to read and know that it is accurate and true, prays and says these things about the events that led up to the crucifixion of the one and only innocent human being that has ever lived, Jesus Christ. Peter says this, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Jesus, the chosen one, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the rioting mob of Gentiles, the peoples of Israel. Right? What did they accomplish? Evil Pontius Pilate, flimsy, flim flame of a ruler that couldn't make a solid, righteous decision. Herod, who had beheaded John because he was making you know, flagrant promises with his, uh, is it his daughter or daughter-in-law? The, the, these guys and the mob, and the scriptures say very clearly under the inspiration of the Spirit of God through Peter, the apostle, they did something. What did they do? Verse 28, to do whatever, and this, this is so, so important. It does not just say whatever your plan had predestined to take place. That would be powerful. But there's another word thrown in there. Do you see it? What is it? Your hand. They, wicked rulers and the mob, accomplished what God says, my hand and my plan predestined to take place. God says very clearly, I own that.
But you know, that's not really what I want to talk about either today. Let's take that reality that God does what he chooses. Let's take that. I'm not going to crumple it up, though. Let's sit it right here. God does what he chooses. I became convinced yesterday that God in his sovereignty led us as a church to the book of Luke. Because there's a lot of people talking about King Jesus, and I don't think they have a clue what they're talking about. I believe that God wants to introduce us back to King Jesus. We're going to begin today. Today we begin, I'm so excited, I have goosebumps right now. But today we begin the story of King Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, I became convinced yesterday that we have forgotten this reality of who King Jesus actually is. And I, I believe that it's not going to be all answered today. I'm going to tell you right now. I, I'm not going to introduce you to Jesus. You're gonna, I don't think anybody's going to walk out here and go, I know Jesus now. And, and I think, man, let's dig into, this is a big book. Luke is. I would plead with you to be with me through this process of learning Luke's revealing of who this King Jesus is. This is just the, the tip, tip of the iceberg of this story. We're going to read the very, literally the very beginnings of the story of King Jesus as we read through Luke today. There are eight things that I want to introduce you to about King Jesus that I think are going to be like bricks on the foundation of your comprehension of him, Right? Got some builders in here. Our foundation's important. Absolutely. These things, I think, is what we're going to build on as we go through the rest of Luke. These foundational things, eight of them. So let's jump into the story of King Jesus. And I, I would ask you, if you can do it, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, I don't care how long you've gone to church, I want to ask you to try to do something with me because this, this is what I'm doing. I want to ask you to try to encounter this story fresh like a child. I want you to hear these things about King Jesus, and I want you to try to think through them as if you've never heard them before. I don't care how old or how young you are, I want you to encounter Jesus. I'm asking you to do this with me. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, Luke the physician, in his desire to accurately portray the history of King Jesus, starts his story of Jesus this way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The sixth month there is referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, actually. Um, we'll see that in verse 36 in a minute. You'll, it says it again. So six months after the pronunciation and after Elizabeth has conceived and John is six months along, 
this happens, this same angel that spoke to Zechariah. And what an what a opposite end of the story. I mean, here, Zechariah was this huge public event, the, this, this burning of the incense at the temple. The angel visits. This is like the opposite end. In fact, it's emphasized. This doesn't do it justice. I, I thought about having a map of where Nazareth was so you could see it, but it wouldn't do it justice. There was actually a saying in these days, like people would say to each other, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? It gives a different spin on when people say Jesus would be called the Nazarene. That wasn't like a nice title. That was more of a... <laughs> I mean, the opinion of the, the Nazarenes, the, Naz, the people from Nazareth, I, I imagine how they may have responded to Nazareth. And this is why I think Luke put this in here. Because I fe- in fact, I think a lot of people may not have at this point, the people he was writing to, they may not have known the, this little Nazareth village, but they knew Galilee and kind of the same perspective was going on there. Oh, you're, it's from there? I mean, the story of King Jesus starts in, I mean, if you could pick in your head, like the most backwards, run down, poor, like boom, and then it tops it off because instead of going to Joseph, although the angel does go to Joseph at a different time, the angel goes to this Virgin Mary. It's possible because of the traditions of that time, it's possible that she was as young as 12 or 13. She was most likely, I think she was probably in the range of 15 or 16 years old when this happened. A person of no importance, of no prominence, in Galilee, in Nazareth. And the angel Gabriel, who has come from the presence of God, pops down and talks to her. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. Don't be confused by that favored one. The word favor there is it's a, it's a version of the word for grace. And you'll understand Mary's response if you understand how this means. This is, uh, you're, you're favored, you're blessed. You're, there's grace on you, Mary. O greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Similar to Zechariah, but not quite the same. It doesn't say that she's afraid, but it does say she's definitely troubled. I believe that any young girl in her situation, to have an angel show up to her would have responded very similarly. Me? The favored one? Like, right? Did you get your address wrong, angel? This is Nazareth, right? I think you took a wrong turn somewhere. She's greatly troubled at the saying, oh, favored one. That's what bothered her. Me? I'm not a favored one. The angel does say to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. And behold, verse 31, behold, you will imagine. You know any 15 or 16-year-old girls? Imagine one that has remained pure. And God says to her, 
you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's our first thing, number one. First thing I want you to learn about King Jesus is his name. Jesus is uh, the Greek for the Hebrew Joseph, which means God saves. Your king's name is God saves. King Jesus. God's king will be named God saves. Now, in the next two verses, there's going to be five more points. I told you I tried to trim the fat here. Let's, let's keep going. Verses 32 and 33. And he will, be, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there, uh, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Number two. Our king's name is Jesus. Our king Jesus is truly great. The word great doesn't carry the punch. I wish it did. I blame Tony the Tiger. He overused it. Frosted flakes are great. No. Do you know what the the Greek word for great is? Mega. Mega. John was called great. A few verses earlier, that angel said that John will be great in the Lord. Jesus is just going to be great as the Lord. Jesus, our king, when it comes to great kings, great kings, he is great, mega. He will be called the son of the most high. The word called, think of it as recognized as. Not just like when we read that, it might sound like, well, that's what he'll be called. That's not what it means. It means that he, he'll be called it in the sense that people will acknowledge it and recognize it. He, this is who this is. Number three, our king, Jesus, is recognized as the son of the most high God. This is a favorite term of King David, the most high. He uses it quite often speaking about God throughout the Psalms. Next, we see Jesus will be given the throne of David. Put it this way, our King Jesus is the rightful king. A thousand years before the birth of Jesus, before this moment, a thousand years before. You can read in Samuel, David, King David was told, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, you might be thinking, well, to build a house for my name, was that Solomon? No. It was alluding to Solomon a little bit, but it was referring to someone beyond. Because Solomon's throne did not last forever. Psalm 89.4, David writes, I will establish as God speaking to him, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Psalm 132, 11, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. A thousand years 
earlier. Like, man, like the best story you could ever imagine. The king is going to be born in the backwoods of Nazareth. The promised one. The king. He's coming. Did you catch... um, Oh, wait, here we go. Next one. Over the throne of David, right? In faithfulness, the tent of David, one who judges and will seek... Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Where did that one come from? Oh, I'm sorry, it was in my notes. This is Isaiah. This is 300 years after David, but still 700 years before Christ. Isaiah the prophet says, then a throne will be established in steadfast love and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Back to our scripture again. Throne of David his father, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. Forever, the house of Jacob. We are the rightful subjects. Let me explain this one of King Jesus. Galatians, and I don't have time to elaborate on this very, very far, but Galatians talks about this. It says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Jacob was the name of Israel. Um, Paul teaches much about the true Israel. I don't know if you know this, but the true Israel is not the one that's sitting on the land over there. There's a true Israel, and it is those who are Christ are Abraham's offspring. We've been grafted in, as it says in other places. Adopted in, as it says in other places. If you're a Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring. So when it says we're the rightful subjects of King Jesus because he is reigning over the throne of Judah or of Jacob, of Israel. And did you catch it also said how long this would last? Forever. Once the reign of King Jesus begins, it will never end. Some of us act like we're waiting for him to start. He is currently at the the right hand of the the throne of the Father. Is he already reigning? Do you believe that? Once it starts, it never ends. Now, of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is not a rehashing of forever. This is saying something different. Let's put it this way. Nothing lies outside of King Jesus' dominion. It's not like you can get far enough away, like, I found something Jesus isn't ruling anymore. <laughs> right? There's no end. There's no, there's no edge to his reign. You can't, like, go and be like, ah, ha, ha, ha. I mean, look, look at all those, those rulers we had seen, many of them evil. And what does God do? He goes, I own that. I, I'm doing that. Right? This is the pronouncement. Young Mary, this king, his name is Jesus. He's truly great. He will be recognized as the son of the most high God. Our King Jesus is the rightful king. We are the rightful subjects of King Jesus. Once the reign of King Jesus begins, it will never end. Nothing lies outside of King Jesus' dominion. Mary, 
close to Zachariah's disbelief, but it's not disbelief. I, lo- I actually, I mean, I love her response. I love her response so much. It, it's a response, I, get, I just picture it as this young girl hears this, and it's, instead of doubting, there's no, there's no clue that she, this was a doubting question that she says next, because, because when, when Zachariah was doubting, he, he asked a similar question, but his question, the angel was like, that's not, you're not believing Zachariah, so you're not gonna talk for a long time. Uh, but what happens with Mary? I think she says the most reasonable thing with this kind of information. I, in my mind, she hesitated before she asked. Um, <laughs> this is a very practical question. Um, Angel Gabriel. How? It's not a no way. That's a pretty profound pronouncement that was made about who this offspring would be. She doesn't question any of that. She just goes, how how you gonna do? It's almost like a curiosity, isn't it? Like, I mean, I hate to bring it up, but Virgin Mary. I love the curiosity of youth, but that willing belief. She says, okay, but I'm just curious how. I just, how is this going to happen? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The way the Spirit of God overshadowed, overshadowed the waters at creation. The way the Spirit of God overshadowed uh, Mount Sinai at the giving of the law. The way the Spirit of God hovered over the tabernacle when that law was given. The way the Spirit of God entered into the temple when it was dedicated under Solomon's reign. The Spirit of God now hovers, overshadows this one girl. To do a creative, magnificent, mind-blowing, life-altering miracle of a virgin birth. This God-man into the world. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. King Jesus is the one and only Holy one of God. Isaiah, again going back 700 years before Christ was born, says this. On a side note, one of the most profound things I think in all of Scripture is the the writings of Isaiah 700 years before Christ. And when people read Isaiah, you'd think it was written after Jesus was born, like it was a a Christmas story. Don't we read this at Christmas? It's so fitting. It's perfect. Yet it was written 700 years before. In fact, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, it, it contained most of Isaiah. And one of the passages that was 
completely intact were the passages on Christ's coming birth. Isaiah wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called, this is Jesus, our King Jesus, wonderful counselor. Who's this King Jesus that we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna meet him through Luke? There's been several stories and, and encounters of him. We're gonna meet him through Luke and, and you're gonna see he is a wonderful counselor. He'll be called mighty God. You will see Jesus do things that only God can do in the book of Luke. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now catch this next sentence. Of the increase of his government, why I'm a theocratic libertarian, this is my government. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. At the end of the book of Luke, you're going to hear Jesus say some things about the beginning of his reign. On the throne of David, over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal, the righteous energy of the Lord of hosts will do this. King Jesus. I was praying yesterday that God would from this instill hope. Some of us get our hopes caught up on the wrong thing. If your hopes are latched to anything besides King Jesus, you are a fool. There's one kingdom that will last forever, and it's his, and he started reigning. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. Some reassurance for Mary. Yeah, somebody else is going to go through this with you. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary says this. Here's your application. If you're like, what's our application to this? Here it is. Because, because Mary responds this way, and I know you're like glancing at it already. Mary responds this way, but think about the, I don't think Mary was stupid. I think she would have known this is going to be difficult. And she didn't know the half of it. She didn't know about the, the having to go to Bethlehem and then having to flee to Egypt and coming back. And then it, Jesus is wandering off in the temple. And she doesn't know yet the fullness of how this king will take his throne and defeat sin and death. She doesn't know that. We know she later has to watch. I think she, though, had a clue, at least the beginnings of the difficulty of what God had just given her. But all she says is this. Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. That word servant means slave girl. It's literally slave girl. I'm the slave girl of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. No, like, could you do, could you, but, okay. Let it be to me according to your word. Could that be a statement for us to this week? Let it be to me according to your word. If young Mary can do it, you know so much more about King Jesus, don't you, than she does? You got the whole story. Humble acceptance and obedience. I'm just a slave girl. I'm just a slave boy in God's kingdom, and let it be to me according to your word, Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this day, and I just want to pray now that you would help each and every one of us to say to you, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Father, I ask that you would help us as we encounter King Jesus through the book of Luke. And I pray that you would help us to learn who you are, your actions, your character, your deeds, your accomplishments. Help us to recognize your throne and your reign. And I pray that you'd help us to put all of our faith, all of our hopes, all of our trust in the kingdom that you've already started. I ask this in the name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit that you would infiltrate each and every heart in this room to acknowledge you, King Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.